All right, so this is Nikki, or affectionately known as Mama Nix. Um, <laughs> Nikki has been with us, geez, for nine years now, yeah? Okay, eight years. Uh, seven and a half years. Um, the first time we met Nikki, she came to our house for lunch. <laughs> and we had um, the crispy, uh, crispy beef from, uh, I think it was from New Asia. Um, one thing that Nikki didn't know is that sometimes they put crispy chilies in there too. <laughs> And I remember she took a bite, and she just started going red from her neck, and just like you like the cartoons where it starts to go, and then the steam comes. We were minus the steam, but I'm pretty sure it was, you felt it was there. I remember you probably drank like a liter of milk and a liter of coke and a whole bunch of water. But Nikki's been in our lives since then, and it's just been such a privilege to walk with her. She's encouraged us. She's helped us. She's loved on us. She's sorted us out. Um, she has been a mother to a lot of people in the church. And so, Nikki, I want to honor you and thank you for everything you've done. You've carried a lot of people, and you've been strong, and you've been vulnerable and open as well. So I want to bless you with that. So Nikki's going to share. I'm not going to make her cry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, Father, we just want to thank you for Nikki. We want to thank you for who she is and what she's done in this church, Father. We thank you for the blessing she is. I pray, Lord, that as she shares this morning, Father God, that you would be with her. Holy Spirit, would you rest on her and would the words that she has to say be planted in our hearts and bear much fruit. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, Nikki did ask me to put a disclaimer. This is not a preach. This is not an encouraging message. This is a teach. All right, because she's a teacher. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Hey. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, yes, I, um, I'm the kind of person, I think, once you get to know me, is there's, there's one thing about, I think, my character that, that you will understand over the years is that um, my loyalty is probably one of the things that is... A good thing, but it also is sometimes to my detriment. And I, I'm proud to say that I've literally only served in three churches in my life. So I know that, you know, where God plants you, sometimes the, the challenges and the relationships and the trials that come along, you know, they do test you. But if God has planted you here, he has planted you in a really, really, really good place. And I honestly and truly can vouch for that for nearly seven and a half years. Nearly, nearly eight, right? <coughs> Okay, so I know that um, there is a beatitude that is not in the Bible, and that is blessed are the short-winded, because they, um, they will deliver the message that is meant to be delivered. So, hey, and invited back, who knows? <laughs> so, um, I have got notes, I'm going to try and stick to them, I don't want to veer off, because I am on a clock, and um, yeah, so the message that I have on my heart to, to deliver today is basically... Um, how does God speak to us today? And I'm sure if I asked all of you, you would have various different ideas and various different, um, we could have a really good discussion about it. But um, this was something that has been on, you know, resonating with me for quite a while. And I'm really glad that I'm just now able to, to um, speak about it. And honestly, truly, if you have anything after this that you want to discuss with me, I'd really, really love to chat to you about this. So I'm sure that if we are honest with one another, 
There's times in our lives when we've got frustrated with God. And we're like, God, why don't you answer my prayer? Why don't you tell me what it is that I need to know? Why don't you get an airplane to write the letters in the sky? Yes, you must go. No, don't do that. Or, Lord, give me a sign and a wonder, you know, the fleece, if it's wet, if it's dry, and all of that. And somehow today, that doesn't always happen. A a disclaimer is that a lot of what I'm saying, yes, there are little exceptions. But in general, how does God speak to us today? So let's look at the Bible and what it has to say about God speaking to us. So in the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets in various ways, as the people of God did not then have the Bible. Hebrews 1 verse 1, and I'm going to link back to this quite a few times, says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So it is common for people to think of a prophet as someone who foretells the future. And it is true that many of the prophetic messages of the Old Testament were actually involved in God's plan and were telling people of the future. However, the word prophet actually means spokesman. And so anyone God chose to receive and deliver a message was a prophet. The Lord gave his word to the prophets by various ways. And these included in the Old Testament, direct speech, visions, dreams, and signs and wonders. So we know about direct speech and how the audible voice of God was heard in the Old Testament. We know when Moses met God in the burning bush, that God spoke to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. We also know of the audible voice being heard by Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, 4 to 14, when God is calling Samuel. And Eli understands then that it is God calling him. And God sometimes even uses a donkey, if he has to, to speak to us. Prophetic dreams were also a way that God spoke to people in the Old Testament. An individual would have received a divine message while asleep. And an interesting thing about this dream that someone would have received is that it often involved interpretation. It was a dream that was given that people didn't really understand. And God would allow a person to have that dream, but something that they weren't able to understand. And then that message or that dream would have to be revealed then by someone, an interpreter, who was actually then a prophet. And a really good example of that, and you all know about it, is the story of Joseph where he has to interpret um, Pharaoh's dream about the seven years of provision and the seven years of famine in Genesis 41. Visions are similar to dreams. Obviously, we know that dreams take place when you're asleep. And so you can't actually alter the scenery or the situation within a dream, and you can't really interact in the dream. However, in a vision, you are actually awake in that vision and you're able to ask questions and you're able to, you know, have a, have a discussion or um, 
yeah, and interact and ask questions. And the example of that in the Old Testament, a really good example would be of Ezekiel 37, 1 to 9, when Ezekiel has the vision of the dry bones. And all of that is an actual vision where Ezekiel is interacting and liaising with God in that. And then, of course, another way is that God performs signs and wonders through the, through the prophets while they are actually delivering a message. This occurs to give God credibility to the prophet's message as it being actually truly God. So it's an actual a validation and a, and a confirmation that God is actually speaking through the prophet. And the example of this in the Old Testament is of Ezekiel in um, 1 Kings 18.38, where he has that, um, con, you know, that, that uh, competition almost with, the, with the, prof, the, the prophets of Baal, and they are challenged to call down fire from their gods. And then, of course, we have Elijah, the god of Elijah, bringing down fire. And then the word says, then the Lord, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. So that is an actual sign of God's miraculous working power that it actually burnt up the water, which is the opposite of what water should actually be doing. It says here, pause. Okay, you're with me. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the New Testament. Before the compilation of the canon was complete, God spoke through his son. As stated, again, I'm going back to Hebrews 1, but now I'm going to read from 1 to 2, where it says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many various times and various ways. But in these last days, the last days, we are in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him whom also he made the universe. So Jesus was right there at the beginning. At creation, in the beginning, Jesus was there. And the entire Bible, Nikki, you're jumping ahead of yourself, is a revelation of Jesus. And the final author and authority of the Bible is Jesus. <clears throat> and Jesus spoke in his ministry and it was exactly at that time when Jesus left the earth that the Bible ended. And obviously, it, whatever message that Jesus passed on was passed on to the apostles. And Jesus gave the apostles the authority to write the word that we now have as the Bible. Scripture is God's complete revelation of himself and serves as the final authority by which things are judged. The Bible is the primary way God speaks to us. And Jesus gives us fervent warning in the scriptures to guard ourselves against false prophets who would speak a message contrary to that of the Bible. 
Matthew 7, 16 says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Christians must know the Bible and have discernment when something contrary to what the Word of God is preached or presented. God gives us all as believers the responsibility to strive with diligence to know the Word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And Proverbs 7, 1 to 3 says, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings whoops, as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Sean, we're not going there, okay? All right. (laughs) When you are born again, God, everybody here is born again, right? Yes, everybody here is born again, and God gives each of us the Holy Spirit at that moment when we are born again. And because of him, every believer is able to mostly understand and to some extent memorize God's word. Of course, we will never really fully understand all the scriptures perfectly. However, each believer can at some point comprehend enough to live an effective life for God, being governed by his word and safeguarded against false teaching. Because God knows you, and he will meet you where you're at, at at the level of your understanding of the word. He's not going to expect you as a year-old believer to fully understand and comprehend 90% of what is written in the Bible. But if, I think, like me, and some of you here have been walking with God 25, 26 years, he's going to put a little bit more responsibility on me and not have to have me to have to go to God all the time and say, Lord, is it okay if I buy this brand of cereal or that brand of cereal? He's going to say, no, Nikki, that you're a mature Christian, do the right thing. You don't have to go to the word of God for something as simple as that. So the, depending on the level and the measure of faith that you have, there is a reliance on the word of God that we are expected to live by. So it's our responsibility to honestly and truly delve into the Word of God and know it, no matter where you are in your walk with God. So does God still speak to us today, other than in the Bible? It's vital to clarify what we mean when we say, does God still speak today? So if anyone comes to you and makes a claim that God gave them a new revelation about himself, they are wrong. The author of Hebrews is clear. God's revelation was fulfilled through Jesus, and no part of Scripture should be altered, added, or removed. Jesus himself himself testifies to that very fact when he's walking with the men on the road to Emmaus, and he says, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe 
all that the prophets have spoken, past tense, have spoken, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them on the road what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. So he explained from the Old Testament and said, that part, that part, that was about me, that was about me, that was about me, that was about me. This is me now. That is it. There's no, nothing else after me. In that verse, as I said, the word spoken is past tense. To indicate it is finished. It is complete work of Christ that speaks to us. That is why the author states, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. The entire Bible is the God-breathed revelation of Jesus. Jesus is there in the Old Testament, but concealed. And we are given glimpses of him in the foreshadowing of Jesus and in typology throughout the New Old Testament. The New Testament is Jesus revealed and continues to speak to us today in the New Testament. So scripture is the most definitive way that God speaks to us and is why the author of Hebrews verse 4 verse 12 says to us that it is living and active. It is still speaking to us today. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword that penetrates and divides the spirit and soul, bone and marrow. And it judges the very heart, the intentions, and the motives of our heart. The truths revealed in Scripture includes who God is, how He operates, and who we are in relation to Him. They are every bit as active today as they were when the Bible was written. Yes, God speaks to us through the Word. But we, again, as I said, must be careful to hear God more clearly outside of reading the word. Because we can't literally walk around with a little mini Bible in our hand and ask if we're confronted with a situation, quickly have to flip through and find the answer. Just hang on a moment, let me go through Proverbs or Psalms or Galatians. I've got the answer right now. No, we can't be doing that. And of course, you and I, I think a lot of me, we've missed it, where we thought that we had read and understood what God was speaking to us and saying to us through the, the, through the scriptures, and we've missed it. So what does that mean then? God looks at the motive and the heart of that decision that you made. Was the decision that I made based on scripture, but I just didn't hear it correctly, or I was misled with that? And if so, if your intention was to obey God, then, and I can honestly and truly testify to this, he will work all things for good. He will turn that situation around because he knows your heart, and it wasn't a deliberate intention to disobey him. But if God speaks to you through the word and we disobey it, then unfortunately we will have consequences 
and we will lovingly be disciplined through that. It is our motive. If, as I said, if our motive was sincere to hear from God, but we just messed up, then he can and he will be able to deliver us out of that. We are given the Holy Spirit as our helper on this earth right now, dwelling within us. He is the practical application of God's word in our lives. And when God does speak to us or to someone, it must always align with scripture. So it's as if the scripture was actually speaking to us. So if someone comes and gives you a word of encouragement or an exhortation or a prophecy, then it is to, yes, receive it, but then always check if it lines up with Scripture. And as if that word was given to you out of the Scripture. We need to be aware that there are certain movements in this day and age that seem to give people divine authority to their thoughts motivated by spiritual stimulation as if they were received directly from God. And we have to be very aware of that. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and just say that if you are reading a translation of the Bible that is written by an author who says that God has given him secrets that has never been revealed to man and that this is a new translation and a new revelation be very, very careful to read and to get the word of God from that kind of translation. Selah. <laughs> Two minutes. Ooh. <laughs> we have to be careful not to validate this doctrine and theology based on spiritual experiences and emotions instead of God's word. We must remember the word of God is only... It, Oh, gosh, what's happened here? The Spirit of God is not the only spirit that is active in this world. And the devil is very keen to come and to distract us and to give us false teachings. We should never make our heart or spiritual feelings the primary means through which we seek God and wish to hear from God. If anything, such experiences need to be judged and passed again through scripture. As believers, we can be fully confident that God speaks to us. And if anyone, as I said, is sitting here today and has received Christ as their Lord and Savior, you have heard from God. If you got up this morning and came to church, you heard from God because it's scriptural to come to church and be part of a fellowship. Being in God's will today, being in his perfect, acceptable, and good will today, and hearing from him today is what every believer should just be living for today. And if we mess up today, then repent, and tomorrow we start again because his mercies are new every morning. I honestly and truly wish I knew the word of God way, way more than I know it. I wish I could remember everything that was, I've ever read, but obviously it's impossible. But the amazing thing is that God honors the diligence of us wanting to know his word. 
And how many of you have ever been in a situation where you find yourself having to come up with an answer or coming up with, with something and God just immediately drops a scripture and an answer? And that is because the word has been written on your heart. So if you are in the word every day that, and you think you're not remembering it, your heart is remembering it. And he will bring that to your remembrance in that situation and, and, and whatever it is, it's, it's, it's the word of God speaking to you for the answer. So be diligent to read the word of God. If you want to know how to live a godly, righteous life, doing the right thing, read Proverbs. Take a proverb every day. There's 30 Proverbs. Read a proverb every day. If you do that, for one year, two years, three years, guess what? You're going to be doing what Proverbs is telling you to do. It's going to become natural to you. If you want to find out how God is faithful and how much he loves you and how he restores and redeems you, read the Psalms. There's, it's a love story of him just redeeming and his faithfulness that's just demonstrated through the Psalms. And honestly and truly, if you are not reading and masticating and loving the word of God every single day, you are missing out on the greatest love story ever written to you. So please be diligent. Stop asking God to show you signs and wonders and sky writing and anything like that or going to this one and that. What is God saying? God is speaking to you in his word. His word, heaven and earth will pass away. We sang it, but his word will never, ever pass away and will never fail. Amen. Well done, Nick. That was incredible. Um, really encouraging word. Um, just what I loved what you said is that in those moments we're trying to find an answer and that scripture just comes. It's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit where it says that he is there to bring to remembrance the things he has taught you. And so keep reading the word because, as Nikki said, in those moments or in your own moments where you're trying to just be like, God, what now? The Holy Spirit will bring those things to remembrance. Fantastic. Thank you, Nikki. Well done. Chris, it's up to you. For those of you who don't know Chris, he's from South Africa, um, amazing man, family man, a God-fearing man, um, lovely wife, Judy, she's also cool, <laughs> God-fearing woman, um, incredible couple, and so we've asked Chris just to share this morning as well, I'm excited to see what he has to say, um, I think there's a strong evangelical calling on your life, and so that's just so powerful and just comes through just in the messages and the words that you do share. So I want to bless you with that. So, Father, we thank you for Chris. We thank you for bringing him to rivers and into our lives. Father God, I pray that as he speaks, you just saturate him with your presence, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks so much, Ray. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I know that it's not usual to have a double-barrel message. So I, I think you clearly heard from the Lord because it sounds like there's been such synergy, which I'm so grateful for. Um, so I'll try not to repeat much. It gives me an opportunity to skip and to be the short-winded one, hopefully. Um, when, you know, when, when anyone opens with that kind of address, you always get a bit anxious because what if you're the long-winded one? And I'm hoping that I'm not going to bore you any, any at all this morning. So just hang with me. Are you okay out there? I love this. You know, it's amazing how I think the anointing is so strong at the back there um, because there's so many people that, that end up sitting there. Um, 
And there's so many chairs out here in front, so well done to the brave ones. Um, you know, as I've been, you know, this word literally just came to me as I was sitting at work, and I just began to put it on my phone, and generally when this happens, I just get my notepad out on my phone, and I just begin to type. And sitting with it again yesterday, Ray says, hey, listen, <clears throat> I just want to get a sense of where you're going, because he knows that we're doing, you know, a double barrel kind of approach. So he says, hey, this looks like, you know, it just works so well together. Um, and this morning, I just want to, I want to encourage you. I want to be somebody that sort of blows some wind into your sails today. Um, and, you know, oftentimes, I don't know if any of you have ever been to the amphitheater for a concert. Anybody? Yeah. Who's been? Yeah. So if you go, sometimes you go and see a band. But did you notice that when you go and see a band, even though they're going to sing, they're going to play, and they're going to do all sorts of things, most times and almost every time, you'll find that there is a theme to the concert. Correct, right? There's a theme to the concert. So they've basically set up the concert to flow you through from the beginning through to the end. And everything that they do is intentional. So when they start the concert, what often happens is they will set you up for the theme that's building. So when we look at the Bible, we just heard the Bible is our go-to. The Bible is our guide. The Bible is our everything. We need to hold on to God's word with tenacity. But when we go to the Bible, we see that the Bible builds towards a message. The Bible builds towards a person. The Bible builds towards Jesus. Everything in Scripture basically is, a, is guiding us, directing us to the truth. And the Bible says that He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. So if you're searching for truth, what do you find at the end of that? Jesus. So now we see that when we look at the Bible and when we think about anybody that's going to give us an opening. So if you go to a concert, there's a beginning to that concert. There's a beginning to that event. If you go somewhere, if somebody is the president and he just gets elected, the first message that he shares sets the tone for the rest of his time, for the rest of his time in his presidency. If a CEO makes his open address, the first thing he shares often gives you an indication of what's in his heart. And we then see through Scripture, you know, if you look at the Bible, the Bible points us and builds us towards the culmination of the coming of Jesus. And we begin to look and we see there's Messianic prophecies, there's Messianic Scriptures, there's Messianic Psalms. We know that the prophet Isaiah basically foretells 600 years before the cross just what would happen. And all of this culminates there. It culminates at the coming of this one. So the entire Bible builds towards the coming of this Messiah. He's the one that would rescue mankind. He's the one that would, Genesis 3.15, the enemy, you know, the enemy will strike his heel, but he will crush his head. He's the one that would come and proclaim the good news to the poor. He's the one that would come and bind up the brokenhearted. Anybody whose heart has ever been broken, he's coming for you. He's here for you. He's the one that would set the captives free, and he's the one that would take us from darkness into his marvelous light. And this is the buildup of Scripture. So if we look to Scripture, if we really begin to study, everything in that points to Jesus. And this is why we are nothing without Him and we have nothing besides Him. So what was the first message then? So what is this opening to His address? What is the opening that when we come to Christ and we just begin to see that all of Scripture unfolds towards this one that comes? If you were a Jew, I mean, you were living, every, every, every kid, you would be taught and trained the scriptures. You would know it by memory. And you would know that you would have to watch out and look out for the Messiah. 
Every boy that was a Jew that was born, they would call him David because the coming of Messiah would be the one that would be the son of David or David. So every Jewish boy, they would declare when they, when they give birth, and Adula, I don't know if you've ever been with, with a Jewish couple, but if you give birth and the baby comes, they shout David. They declare because this could be Messiah. So there's this expectation, and, and we have and had the same, but we know that it is fulfilled. So what is the message? If the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords puts his feet on this earth and he comes and he proclaims his first public address, you better have your ears plugged in because you want to know what is he going to say. And for those that were there that were fortunate enough to be there, we've got God's word that begins to tell us that was recorded, praise the Lord. And it was recorded for us so that we could look to that to see what was his first public address. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 4.17. Now, in the Gospels, it's recorded in three places. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, in Matthew, the context of Jesus' first public address is this. He just gets baptized. The Bible says that there would be one that would prepare the way of the Lord. Basically, John the Baptist, doing his job, uh, declares a message of repentance. And what he does is he declares the way of the Lord. He declares that there's one coming. There's one coming. And as he sees the one coming, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. He says, behold, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals, but Jesus says to fulfill all righteousness, let it be so. He has no sin, but he gets baptized. So then we see from this baptism, he steps into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know if you've ever fasted more than three days, but uh, you know, I, I don't know if they had coffee in those times, but you get those headaches. You know, I, I know that some of you fast and it's crazy, you know, and 40 days and 40 nights, and he, and he fasts, and he pushes that through in the wilderness. This is desert area. It's fortunate to be in Bahrain because over here, we sort of know what that feels like. Anybody want to go outside into that 37-degree heat? Nope. <sighs> so here we're building towards this, and Jesus comes, and you know that at his baptism, I just want to share this with you. It's amazing that, you know, at the baptism of Jesus, he's now getting baptized, and what we see is that the Father confirms his identity, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You know that the moment he steps out of his baptism and he goes to the wilderness to be tested by the enemy, do you know what the enemy says? Are you the Son? It's always interesting, whenever God confirms an aspect of your identity, the enemy will come and he will deceive you. Not, every deception is not always, uh, uh, you know, a false truth. Sometimes deception is just taking something away from the truth. So what happens is, the enemy doesn't say, are you the beloved son? Can you turn these stones into, into bread? No, the enemy says, are you the son? So the father says, this is my beloved son, but the enemy will always want to take love out of the equation. And then we see that he comes, he steps out, and the Bible says here in Matthew 4, 17, this is now the culmination point. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark says it this way in Mark 1, 14 to 15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know what? 
you know, if Jesus comes and he says, this is, you know, we all know this is his first message and we're waiting for this. We've been waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Mary knows that this is the one that she had to give birth to. Uh, you know, Joseph knows that, you know, we, we know what happened. I know the angel came and told me who this is. Many people started knowing the prophets uh, uh, that was in the, in, the, in, the, in the church, in the temple, declared this is who he is. So there's so many people that knows who he is. And here he comes and the first message is not complicated. I love the fact that this first message is so simple. It's a a message of repentance because John the Baptist prepares the way and he just continues the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe in the gospel. So it's a simple message, a message of repentance, a message to do what? To believe what? The good news. And I want to tell you this, what you believe you need to become. Just think about that for a moment. What I believe I need to become. Many people hear the word. We just heard that the word is the way we need to go. The word is what we need to hold on to. We need to invest the word into our lives. We need to sow seeds of the word into our lives so that they can germinate and bring forth a harvest. But if you just have that word on the inside of you, it can become knowledge that puffs you up. But the Bible says love builds you up. In other words, what you do with that word is important. You can invest in the word, but you need to live that word. You need to walk that word. So what you believe, you need to become. Don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word. How do you do this? So you're saying, Chris, Jesus' message is simple, but how do I live that? How do I repent? How do I believe in the gospel? How do I do this? And Jesus comes and he sums up the entire uh, uh, Bible at the time, which would have been the Torah or um, the Torah, the Tanakh, and the writings. So he comes and he, and he sums all of this up and he says, all 413 laws and commandments is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love others as you love yourself. He sums all of that up so simply. How do we walk this out? We walk this out in love. If you walk in love God and love others, all of a sudden you want to honor your father and your mother. If you walk in love God and and love others, you don't want to kill your neighbor. You don't even want to hate your neighbor. You don't want to slander anyone. If you walk in love God and love others, you don't want to cover, you, you, you celebrate when somebody else gets a promotion. You celebrate when somebody else gets a new home. You celebrate when somebody else buys a new car. It doesn't invoke jealousy in you. Why? Because your motive is not just knowledge to puff up. Your motive is love to bless. So now I'll ask myself the question, okay, I'm repenting, which means I'm turning away from the old life to the new, but how do I walk out this love? If love is the summation of what was written, if love is the summation of the Bible, and I need to love God and love others, how do I love God? Firstly, let let me help you a little bit. Who's ever read Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages book, right? So you've read it? Okay, talk to me. Uh, One of the, the love languages is? Touch, so physical touch. People, some people love physical touch. Affirmation, I heard that. Gifts, okay. There's a lot of people that's getting quite excited now. <laughs> time, yeah. So we need time. And then one more. Acts of service. People love when you do something for them. You clean the house, let them sit back a little bit. Acts of service. So your job, husbands, is to ensure that you know what your wife's language is. Amen? And the wife's job is to enjoy it. Amen? Amen. <laughs> oh man thank you Holy Spirit listen that's not in my notes I'm going to send my notes to be verified that wasn't in here so I amen amen 
Okay, so how do I love God? So if we think about the five love languages, this is a way somebody communicates. So you can love somebody that wants gifts. If you love them with touch, you're missing the mark. If you love somebody that wants time and you're giving them something else, you're missing the mark because you're not spending any quality time with them. You're giving them, maybe you're giving them what you like. So if you come and you say, I want to love God, what is important? Now, Gary Chapman had five love languages, but he forgot the sixth one. And this one is God's love language. And we find this in John 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. So this is the love language of God. So if I write the book, I will add six. And the sixth love language is that God loves obedience. God has called us to a walk of obedience. Now, I don't want to leave you with that alone. I want you to understand the context of John 14. When we look at John 14, we see the context is actually the outpouring of what? The Holy Spirit. Way to go, Nikki. Or Mama Nick's. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what I need in order to fulfill God's love language. You know, it's foolishness. The cross, the Bible says, is foolishness to one that is perishing. They just cannot see it. But to you that has the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? Obedience is the outflow of what you've received. And if you think I'm joking, let me, let me read a little bit more in John 14. It says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. I love that the Bible has cycles and patterns. Many people say that God works in mysterious ways. That is not biblical. I'll tell you why. Because God works in a pattern. He works in a pattern of seasons and cycles. He's not a mysterious God to those that know him. He's not a mysterious God to those that have intimacy with him. He will reveal his ways to the prophets. If you read the word of God, if you, read, if you heard what Isaiah said, God was revealing, even though it was 600 years later, if they recorded that, which they did, he was revealing his plan. He wasn't being mysterious. Yes, there are some things God covers because he wants you to go and get it out. There's so many truths, and I know there's so many layers, but at the, at the top of it all, at the foundation of it all too, it's that God doesn't want to be mysterious to you and I. He wants you to know his ways. So he said to Adam in the garden, it is not fit for man to be alone. So God made him a what? A helper, a wife. And then we see that when we are born again, God says it's not fit for man to be alone. He needs a helper. And this helper is the Holy Spirit. And here we see that he's going to give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Somebody say forever. forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why can the world not receive the spirit of truth? Because they didn't heed the message. Jesus' first words were what? Repent. If you don't repent, you cannot receive. So this is why the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Tell somebody, say, I know him. If you know him, for he dwells where? With you and within you. He dwells with you and within you. He's not only alongside you, he dwells within you. You know, when you go to work in the morning, I know your boss isn't the nicest guy. But when you go to work in the morning, guess what? The greater one lives in you. I know maybe your children are giving you trouble. Or maybe they're doing exams. But the, guess what? The greater one lives within you. And no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're going, <laughs> he is within you and he will never leave you. And the Bible says forever. He even gives you this promise in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What a promise. And I don't know, maybe somebody here feels lonely. Maybe somebody here feels like, you know, has God forgotten about me? I just get the sense that there's somebody that's crying out and saying, God, 
I'm in a foreign country, I'm, I'm far from home, I'm far from those that I love, the far from those, and, and the phone calls are okay, and the Zoom calls are okay, but maybe there's somebody here that you just feel, God, I'm desperate for more. And many times we try and find that in the flesh, but I want to encourage you, find that in the Father, and when you find it in the Father, you will find fulfillment. And then when He gives you whatever He gives you in the flesh, it will be a blessing. Amen. How do you speak the Father's love language? You need the Holy Spirit. Just stay with me. I know your seatbelts are fastened. I need to get through. I'm limited with time. So this is a, uh, like an hour message I'm trying to cram for you. <laughs> so the context of, the, of, of John 14 is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the way we live out God's love language is in this way. The Spirit of truth is with you. When you love God, the Holy Spirit empowers you to walk it out in obedience. You cannot do this in your own strength. You know what's amazing about grace? Grace, the race of grace, puts you at the finish line and says, now begin to run. You've already crossed the finish line, and then it says, now run. How amazing is that, that the grace of God, he doesn't tell you, okay, this is all the things you need to do in order to get to the finish line. No. He says to you, I've already put you in the place of victory. Now run. And when you run from a position of grace, then fulfilling obedience, then walking in all of this with the Holy Spirit, it's like, I'll tell you, anyway, so I'll tell you, build this for me, but I'll give you the wood. I'll give you the saws. I'll give you machinery. I'll give you everything you need to carve this out for me. Guess what? I'm, I'm telling you what I need you to do, but I've also equipped you to do it. This is what the Father has done. This is what grace looks like. Amen. I need to catch my breath. It says pause. <laughs> when you love God, the Holy Spirit will empower you. It's amazing if you read the, uh, the Bible when it goes into Acts 1 verse 8, and I'm building on this so that you can see the truth of what I'm saying. Acts 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit does what? Comes upon you. You will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit does what? Comes upon you. He's not only here to come upon you, he's here to come and dwell within you. What an amazing promise. But I want you to know and understand that God never just gives you a promise without purpose. I'll tell you why. Because it says here that when the Holy, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be a witness. Now that word witness is not such a nice word if you read it in the original. It's actually from the word materios, which is, means to be a martyr. In other words, when Paul says, I die daily, he's saying I'm being a witness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the power is for a purpose. The purpose in this case is for you to be a witness, to be one that dies to your flesh, dies to yourself. And here God is saying, I want you to be a witness in your home in Jerusalem. I want you to be a witness to your neighbors in Judea. I want you to be a witness to your cousins in Samaria that you don't like. And I want you to be a witness to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know what has brought you here to Bahrain this day. I don't know why you've come. Some of you may have come for money. Some may have come for career growth. Some may have come for some intention or some purpose. But if you have received the Holy Spirit and you have received power from on high, can I ask you to be a witness? Can I ask you to do your job in a way that there's a spirit of excellence so that when you pick up whatever you need to pick up, every tool you pick up, you do it with a spirit of excellence. When you fill out a report, you do it with a spirit of excellence. Whatever you do, you are a witness. And this is why the Holy Spirit is on you, not only to heal the sick, to raise the dead, and to cast out lepers, but it's even upon you and within you for anything that has to do with life and godliness. What would it look like if we parented our children from a place where the Holy Spirit helped us to parent? What would it look like if I didn't know what to pray and the Holy Spirit began to guide me in my prayer life? That's life and godliness.
you always receive power for a purpose. Some of us, we're saying, God, give me more of your anointing. Lord, give me more power. There's, an, there's a principle in, uh, in the Bible, and it's called the principle of seek first the kingdom, and the things get added. Many people seek the anointing, but they're doing nothing with it. It's like you've got all this power. Let, let me share with you a little bit. When Acts 1 verse 8, when it speaks about power in the Greek, Greek is a much more layered language, language than English. In English, we'll say power for everything. In Greek, they've got so many power words. There's uh, iskus, kratos, um, there's dunamis, which is the one that's used in this case, and there's energia. So if we're thinking about all these power words, but God uses a specific word when he says, I'm going to give you power. He says, I'm going to give you dunamis power, which speaks about a dynamite kind of power. It's like, I don't know what, what you're containing, but God has put dynamite on the inside of you. And even if the workplace you are in is difficult, God says, I've given you power. I've given you power. So don't ask God for more. Do more. Seek first the kingdom. This is the message of Christ. Seek first the kingdom, and guess what happens? More comes. Why must I give you more if you're doing nothing with, the, with what you already have? But when you're doing more, then more comes. You don't even have time to, to bother about praying for more anointing because you're so busy here doing things for God. You get what I'm saying? Seek first the kingdom, and these things get added unto you. And I don't know where you find yourself, and sometimes we, we find ourselves in a place where, and I'm drawing to a close, I know time, I'm mindful of that too, but sometimes you find in your, uh, yourself in a place where you're saying, God, okay, you filled me with power, but what is my purpose? And I want to encourage you, sometimes we just, we just get so caught up in the fact that we want to get a lightning, thunder, and then God speaking in an audible voice saying, this is what you need to do next. And really what the Father wants you to do is, is just, just to get your hands dirty, do something the moment you do something, others will recognize the gifting on you, the anointing upon you, and guess what happens? They begin to call out what's in you. If you're a teacher, guess what? Everyone will begin to say, my gosh, just when you did that, I understood that in such simplicity that this is obviously natural to you. When you're singing, you're either going to sing like a nightingale, and if you sing like a nightingale, everyone will push you towards your purpose. But if you're singing like a gale in the night, <laughs> I'm glad you caught that because I don't have to go there. If you sing like a gale in the night, go and help with the kids. So, we're not looking for those that want the spotlight. We're looking for those that have a heart to serve, to find their purpose. And when you find your purpose, everyone will recognize it on you and just begin to say, you know what, this is you. And when people begin to say that and everyone begins to say that to you, you recognize, guess what, I'm walking in purpose. But that doesn't come unless you do something. Unless you pack a chair, unless you, you do something with your hands, and the moment you do that, you'll find your purpose. Stop waiting for a prophetic word to release you into your destiny and start doing something so that God can bless the work of your hands so that when you're faithful in little, guess what he does? He makes you rule over much. The first thing I did was when I, when I started out many years ago in ministry, the first ministry I had was kids. Then God moved me to young adults, and then God entrusted me with adults. So where does God want you to hone your skill set, your strengths? What is he wanting you to do? What are you waiting for? Why are you holding back? Be faithful in the little and God's going to just take you and elevate you and take you to a new place. You know, God's called us to a, way of, a new way of life. How do we do that? This is Jesus' message. The first message, the most powerful message, the most simplest message is to repent. New way of life, we started off in repentance. We change our walk, we change our direct direction, and that's repentance. When we walk out this new life in the kingdom, guess what happens? 
We walk it out in love. How do we love God and how do we love others? In order to walk in love and obedience, we need God's Holy Spirit. This I want to sum it up as I close with this. Romans 5 verse 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint. For the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. The agape of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit hasn't just filled you with dunamis power. He's filled you with agape, selfless love. And when he does that, everything in you changes. You're not doing this in your own strength. As we take on this reality of all the Father has done for us, we cannot help but walk in our purpose. Friends, the kingdom of heaven is truly at hand. Amen. Amen.